very brightly colored and it's very loud and it's fun for a while. We want to be free to, to do what we want to do. We're Muhammad Ali and Sonny Barger, the president of the Hells Angels. This is 109.5. Hey, Mick, good evening. Welcome to the podcast. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks. Appreciate the opportunity to say hey. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I, I um, We're obviously here to talk about your your book, which is on a poster there, but behind you, Burning America. So um, I have not read it yet, but congratulations, first of all, on, on you know getting the book. Is this the first book you've written? Have you written a number of books? Well, that's a good question. So I'm a recovering academic, I usually tell people. So I publish about 87 different publications, but this is the first novel. So this is my first foray into that particular field. So, you know, yes, I know what a subject and a verb is, but to say, now, can you be a novelist? No, this is something I had to do and learn while I was doing it. Awesome. Well, Look, I think, I mean, I, I'm, I want to talk about the book. Before I do, you know, I obviously did a bit of research and read your website and something jumped out to me, which was the custody okay. industry, which is what this book is, is yeah. centered around. And I hadn't even heard of um, the custody industry. I, I don't have kids. I kind of, you know, it conjured up various things. And I had to go and Google that and look into it. But I think for our audience, just to set the scene, um, sure. You know, just give us a bit of a kind of high level on what is the custody industry, and then we'll get into a bit more on the book. Yeah, I think uh, that's a great question. It's a great place to start because a lot of people will say, unless you've had this kind of experience, which the novel is based on the kinds of things that I experience, you really don't understand. But the custody industry is really when people have gone through they are finding out that the custody issues are very complex, very difficult, but there is an industry that's really involved around this. Now, this might be worldwide, I'm not sure about your environment, but definitely in the United States. The custody industry are the attorneys, the counselors, the masters, the police, the judges, mm. lawyers, everybody who is involved in this. And that's why I subtitled the book actually, In the Best Interest of the Children with a question mark, because everyone tells you exactly the same thing. You say, here's something wild and crazy that you decided, and they say, well, this is in the best interest of the children. And you go, no, it's not. This is, doesn't make any sense. It's not common sense. It's not just. So what are you talking about? And so that's why I'm trying to address the custody industry if a person hasn't been into it, but if a person has, they know really what I'm talking about. Really interesting. And it, yeah, I mean, it does... I'm in Thailand, and actually, funny enough, I worked for a law firm for a couple of years, going back about seven years now. And I had, I was involved in a couple of cases, but it, so it, it exists, but not to the to the level that you're talking in terms of the network of individuals that are you know involved in that process, which is pretty staggering the way you present it. So, um, yeah, so the, the the book itself you know how much is real is it fiction obviously it's inspired by i'm assuming some personal events but yeah how much is real in this book what's the inspiration behind it yeah that's a, a really good question so the way i say this and i try to phrase this is that every person who writes fiction has got to come from somewhere in terms of experiences and what have you as far as a background so yes it's real some things actually did happen so that's why they're in there but then I hope that it's realistic in the sense that this still sounds like a story 
that could potentially be true because that's going to be the appeal and that's going to get people turning the pages. But I also say, you know, there are some things in there that you might be cautioned against to say, well, that can't possibly happen. And what I tell people is, no, those are the real parts because truth is stranger than fiction and I could not have made those parts up and that's what's in there. That's the real parts. And then I'm trying to tell a compelling story with the characters, the setting, the theme, and all of the things that are really the novelistic elements that go around this story. What um, can you, I mean, in terms of the inspiration behind it, if you're, if you're okay to share, can you share some of the inspiration behind writing Burning America? And because yeah, I've done a bit of writing myself and and yeah, it always comes from somewhere that, that's real, even if it's fiction, right? As you just said, but yeah, are you willing to share some of the, the kind of inspiration behind the story? Yes, uh, I'd say there's two ways that it was inspired because I wrote this really between about 2001 and two or three years after. The real events that I'm describing occurred between 1998 and 2001. So I had a story and I thought, you know, I'm going to write about this like a lot of people who say they're in a custody situation or parental alienation and they get it out in some way. That's often through writing. So journaling or songwriting or something to get it out. So there's the inspiration to say, yes, I had to do something myself and I had to heal myself. The other part of the inspiration was the fact that I stepped running into people that said, well, yeah, that happened to me or my cousin or the person down the street and what have you. And lo and behold, after many, many years, a couple of decades, as a matter of fact, it happened to my best friend. Okay. Well, that pushed me over the edge because they said, you know, if this happened to my best buddy and this is more recent and this happened a long time ago for me, this seems to be a story that needs to be told. The immediate inspiration is pretty clear because that's what gets the opening scene of the novel, in fact. So my wife was in the habit of when I came home from work, she wouldn't be around and took our child to friends and was on play dates and what have you. So that was sort of normal. I would have rather preferred to be there and having you know family time together. But there was a day that I pulled up in the driveway and literally everything was gone. And that is the furniture. I called the bank accounts, bank wow. accounts empty. She took off all the money. So yes, all these things are regrettable to have no property and no money. But unfortunately, she also took the child. So I went to a panic mode. What do I do? Tried to track it down. I said, where's the school, the you know neighbors? I mean, all those kinds of things. I definitely was in a panic. I flagged down a cop and the cop then called the neighbor who I believed our child was with and over the police radio i'm living in pennsylvania at the time where's the child three thousand miles away over the police radio i heard california well that didn't help my panic mode at all because now i find out my child is three thousand miles away don't know how she is don't know anything about her her safety don't know why it happened and i was completely flummoxed at that point and when i looked at my pockets and what I had, a car had broken down. I didn't have a car and I had the cash that I had on my hand, into my hand, and that was $5.85. I was really stripped of everything. And the most important thing was the child. I have got to get that child back into the state. Wow. And then, you know, to my opening question, then you're faced with this industry that you've got to operate within to do this. It's, it's, uh, which is a, a big, 
um, a big dollar sign at the top, I imagine, because you've got to start dealing with lawyers and 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 everything else, right? To try and in, in, entangle yourself in that process to 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 get the kid back. Sure, and I'm naive enough to know because based on my age and how I approach life, I was very naive, and I thought, okay, well, you know, this is going to be justice is served. It's going to be swift, and it's going to be pretty easy. And all of those things were untrue. It's extraordinarily expensive. Yeah. It's almost impossible. And that is not an easy process. So to give you an, an idea of how the story unfolds, I kept discovering more and more things that were red alarms for me. For example, I go into the house and I find a note. I see the note. I pick it up and it says... I'm going to be away for a while. It was a note from my wife. However, she tucked it into a very famous case that was in the United States, and you may have heard of it. It was tucked in a book about the John Bonet Ramsey child murder. Right. That did not settle my nerves at all. In fact, it made it that much worse. And so when I found receipts for the fact that she had pierced herself in a very personal place in her private parts, these were all kinds of red flags that I thought, my gosh, what is going on in her mind? So there's obviously something very disturbing about this situation. And as the story unfolds, you start reading. I go to an attorney. Yes, it's very expensive. I get the child back into the state, return from California. And he tells me after colluding with the judge, oh, the child's going back to the mother. Wait a minute. You got to be kidding me here, right? You know, I just get the child back into the state and I still don't get the child. That's not how it works. And that's my question about in the best interest of the child with a question yeah. mark. I was in the marital home. I never left. You know, there's a traditional story or something that you hear all the time. You know, the guy takes off. He fools around with somebody down the street. He takes off. He gets his own apartment, all those things. None of those things were true in my case. I was still in the marital home. I was there. Wife left. I get the child back into the state. And then, because she knew all the neighbors and the neighbors get involved, she actually would then take the child and drop our child off at the neighbor's house three doors away. I was warned, don't go near that house. They will call the police and you will go to jail. So literally, I was seeing my child three doors down. And I said to my attorney at one point, there's a line in the novel where I said, my child is down the street a thousand miles away. It doesn't matter what the distance is. Yeah, I still sure. can't get the child returned. Damn, what a complex. And and of course, the, with all the money that's involved with, with this, it creates, I mean, you just mentioned there about the you know the the judge speaking, uh, and and then the you know the 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 child going back over out of state. I mean, when you've got all this money involved, unfortunately, with anything, it can create the wrong types of outcomes for the for the well, in this case kids that are involved, right? Absolutely. And I said, you know, I hear, and I could never do it myself, but for the first time in my life, I understand why some men or some fathers bail out because they realize that it is just way too expensive. Now they suddenly have to support two households when they used to only support one. Yeah. And it's not like you go to your boss and you say, if you're making $50,000, say, okay, well, I want $100,000 to support two households. So they get behind on payments, they get behind on everything. And I found out there was something along those lines too. By the time this process goes into place, 
three and four, five, six months down the road, you get a bill, which I did at one point, even though I had been giving mom some money, then you find there's a bill that says, okay, you know, you owe now $6,000, pay it in 30 days, or you're going to jail. It's like, well, wait, I mean, I'd say she already took the money for one thing. Well, that's all gone, but I have to start making payments based on what I could to try to reconstruct my life and get my life back in order. How long ago is all this, by the way? Is this something in, in the distant past or? Well, this is why I said, I think there's water under the bridge at this point, because yeah. the events that I'm describing were about 1998 to 2001. So for about a three and a half year period, and okay. I just sat all this time. So has I, to your comment there, in terms of the kind of equality within how this is approached, because obviously the world has changed hugely from a male-female perspective since then, is, is today, is there a much greater level of equality in how these things are dealt with. I remember some horror stories 20 years ago. I've got, and there was a lot in the UK. I'm originally from the UK. I can remember um, kind of marches around this. And th there was definitely a, a level of inequality with how these things were dealt with. Has it changed now? Is, have, have things balanced up in terms of the modern day and how this is dealt with? It's a little bit more complex to say just to make a generalization. Mm. And actually in the States there now, I'm a part of an, a really a, a very good podcast, a new podcast where I now teamed up with a really phenomenal mom. So we have a he said, she said segment, not in a controversial kind of way, but we yeah. both experience pretty much the same thing, but from a male or a female perspective. So really a great team. So it's called the aftermath and I'd love people to check out because there are all kinds of things that what do you do in these situations. But to go back a little bit, a little background in most Western nations in the 19th century, Oddly enough, and what surprises people is that men got custody of the kids almost invariably, almost it really? just didn't exist. Okay. And that's it's an interesting thing. Well, here's the thinking at that time in the 19th century, most women were not working, men were. So the thought was not so much on the nurturing and the emotional side development of a child, but who can support the child? Well, the man can because he's working, he has money. What has happened then since, say, the feminist movement and more recent times? Well, then women started getting more active and asking for the children. They, by and large, have the statistic I use in the novel because I play a professor researcher type, so I can throw in these little stats from time to time. In a contested custody situation, so the key word there is contested, a mother wins 92% of the time meaning that only 8% of the time, a man or a father will get a child in a contested divorce. So everybody will tell you things like, well, I know a father, he has custody of his children. And I said, yes, but probably mom and dad sat down and they really thought about this and did the right thing for their children. And that was really, I applaud them for that. But when you're fighting and you're going to the custody court and what I would say the village court, it doesn't work out that way. Mm. And interesting, enough when it comes down to what is true and what is not in the novel for example there are people actually interviewed a woman on the aftermath yesterday she has had 15 attorneys now i wow. thought i got off got free i only had two but it's not surprising to have multiple attorneys in trying to get what it is that you want as a mom or a dad and that's unfortunately it's very expensive and it really negatively impacts the kids as well yeah, well, I mean, I, 
going back to the kind of tagline of your book and the interest, best interest of the children. I mean, clearly that, you know, ideally in every case, that is what should be happening. And uh, well, you've written this book, presumably what to create awareness around that so that when people read this, they're, they're thinking in that way. Is, is that kind of the motivation here in terms of putting this book out? It is. And then I, when I wrote this and published it, actually, I had not met all the people who had been involved and very supportive of the Aftermath podcast. But I say, well, it's really fortuitous because novel comes out, I made the connections, and then we started the Aftermath podcast. And that's really the ideal because, yeah, exactly, I'm trying to bring awareness for one thing. So people might say to me, well, what's the solution? Well, I don't actually have a solution. And what I was saying to you, it's not as easy as saying a generalization, but we have 50 states in the United States and there are various ways of approaching this, but I have worked towards legislation and some of these contacts that I'm coming across are saying, yes, we need to go into the courts and into legislators and tell them this. So out of the United States, Kentucky has a very good 50-50 arrangement and also Arizona, but that's really only two of the 50 states. Most are in that, really in that middle, 25 of the states in the United States, based on the National Parents Organization, are ranked at 25, they get a C, and then most are below that, and then there's a couple exceptions to that. So it's now a long haul to say we need to get to the legislators and hopefully, say, make it a better world for the kids. Cool. Well, yeah, quite a, quite a mission on your hands, but um, yeah, great to be able to at least use your your writing skills to, to put something out there to create awareness. Hey? Um, in terms of the writing, you know, talking about the writing itself, what is your, what I want to talk about the screenplay a bit in a minute, but um, before we get into that, the, the, your writing process, is it a, uh, you know, a, a structured process you use, something you've, you know, always worked with, always good for people who are thinking about writing books. What, what was your process of writing this book? I agree. That's a, it's a, it's a really good question. And that's what has helped me in having an academic background. So I actually help people write books and I record them also a voice talent. So I'll also record audio books for people, but I try to coach people because most people are not familiar with the publishing process. However, I would say for most people, you have a story and what we need to do is get that story out to the world. But my personal writing process is I do have writing prompts and also cues for people to say they get blocked or they have writer's block and I can help other people. But in my case, I'm just saying, I'm just so different because I'm so passionate about what I'm doing. I never had writer's block. And I did have a technique though that I did. I saw the whole book visually and that's why I think it lends mm. itself to the screenplay as well. So I had a small study set up in a house in Pennsylvania and I put a big graph and I wrote it out in terms of a visual representation. So while I was writing, I kept looking at that and I go, okay, well, here's the beginning, here's the middle, there's the second part, here's the end, the resolution. So I really was trying to put all the pieces of the characters and the plot together in such a way that it was visually a representation in front of me. And that helped me a great deal. Now, I also benefit from the, just the fact of being an academic, mm. and there's a great book with a great title. It's called How to Write a Dissertation in 15 Minutes a Day. I wish I had that book, and I didn't have it when I wrote my dissertation because it's an overwhelming task. You're spending about four years of your life writing a dissertation, which I did, but the point of this author is excellent. In other words, what they are saying is that if you take 15 good minutes a day, you're going to finish your book. And that means you 
have a lot of writing words, but you're not going to use them. But if you take good 15 minutes a day, quality, and you cut out the fluff, and you concentrate on the structure and all the elements of writing, you're going to get there. That's what I help. I think that's what helps people to understand because when you think about a book, it's large, it's overwhelming. You've got to break it up into some component pieces and then you can move ahead knowing the elements of a story or a storyline. So structure and discipline are the two things I take out of that that kind of feedback, I, really. I think so. And it's unfortunate to say that's my personality. I'm very structured, I'm very <laughs> disciplined, and I know what I'm doing and what have you. But this is where I think the coaching comes in for other people. They may not have that personality, but they have a great story. And that's the thing. I get really involved. I've done voice talent for a person who did a memoir on his family, and I'll give you an example. He told a story over three generations of his grandfather, his father, and himself. And I go, that's a fascinating story. That's awesome. That should be a film. And it can be. But in other words, in trying to piece that together, as long as you get the elements correct, you're going to have a very good story. Because in this particular instance, I, I told him and I said, look, you had enough sex and violence in there. That's going to sell. You just got to put it together. <laughs> cool. And like, I know you're adapting this right into a screenplay. And I've, I've, I've worked on a screenplay. I'm still working on a screenplay. I've been through the kind of training for writing a screenplay. It's very different, the process of, of writing a screenplay. What, how are you adapting this? What, you know, are you, yeah, yeah. How are you taking the book and, and converting to a screenplay? Because I know it's a very different process indeed. It is. And that's what I said. I'm going back to square one, just like I had said, I know how to write. And I think I have a certain amount of skills academically, but then as first foray into writing a novel, it's very similar with a screenplay, but some things have emerged from that. In a book, in a novel, you have a lot of room. So the novel is 229 pages. Well, the first thing you know about screenplays is that, well, they're going to be a lot shorter. They may be as short as 90 pages. And that's really the first thing to look at, and that's what I did. Well, I've got to scrunch this story down. I've got a lot of things in the novel. I have to present this visually and not write so much about background and what have you when you can develop characters and talk a little bit about the things that you want to say. So you don't have that room. Every scene is important. Every word is important in a screenplay. And you have to be very economical in what you're doing. And then what people have said, you know, because I've taken classes, I read books, I read, you know, to find out more information and research, but it's the same things that people will tell you, act rather and don't tell. Yeah. And see, and you can tell things because you're telling people about some character or their background and what have you. In a movie, you can't do that. So you're supposed to show. And so a lot of the examples that I had visually rather than writing about them as in a novel with a screenplay, I'm trying to show people. So I show their personalities and I show what they're doing. And there's a couple of court scenes and things like that. And I tried then to say, okay, rather than telling them what this is, you've got to show them. And that's the strength of the screenplay because you're in another world and a movie should be that engrossing and getting you pulled into the story. Yeah, and then the I don't know how many drafts you're up to now because the redrafting process of a screenplay, you, you get a draft done and then you're like you're really happy with it, and then you go back and you're like, okay, next draft. I mean, yeah, are you are you fairly into the process? Are you? Yes, and I have what I would say is a first draft, and yes, I was pretty optimistic about that first draft, but then exactly, there's a great point that you're just making. Yes, now it's drafting <laughs> it again. 
going over it again. And I've also had people read it and get some feedback as well, too. Yeah. So a lot of people writing a screenplay will find people who actually are screenwriters or have maybe more experience than you, and they will allow you to get some feedback. And so that's what's important. And then being open to it, because I, I actually found it liberating. And that was one thing to answer your question earlier. What's the difference between a novel and a screenplay? Well, I looked at it in a very adventurous way and I thought, okay, everything is set in stone, so to speak, in the novel. Well, now I can have fun with the characters because they're not going to be in concrete. Now I can change things. So I've changed where the dialogue occurred from one character to another. I show another side of the personalities and I really rewrote a story with a strong lead, but then also a very strong secondary story, which you wouldn't have had an opportunity to do with the novel. So I found it liberating, and I guess it's kind of fun too. It is really fun, and I don't know if you've yet done a table reading, but when you do a table reading, that's when it really is fun because it comes to life. And also, when you do that, that's when you're like, oh, got to go back to the writing because it's so hard to read a screenplay. In, well, it's not hard to read a screenplay. It's hard to read a screenplay and really understand it until you hear you know, a number of people at a table acting it out. And then you'd be like, oh, that, you know, really got to do it this way. And have you, have you got to that stage yet? And it's funny you mention it because, yes, that's what I was thinking of. That may be a next step. But one of the tips that they gave and I came across and I've always treasured this as well, said when you're writing, write so that the actors have fun. Yeah. I go, now that's an interesting point because they bring a lot to the production and that's what you get from the table read. And that's what you get because if they're having fun, then it's going to be a better story because they're the ones that are acting it. And so that has really helped me rethink and fresh my mind and refresh my mind to say, I could approach this a different way because I want those characters to have fun and I want the dialogue to be snappy. I want the action to be clear, all of those things. So I think that's, that's a great next step and just about to do that as well. Awesome. Well, you will definitely enjoy it, I'm sure. And, you know, if you're enjoying writing a screenplay, the table read will be something you really enjoy. So, um, as a bit of a closing question, I suppose, advice to, you know, people wanting to write their first book or even start on their first screenplay, you know, do you have any kind of advice you would give to those people that might be listening? Yes. If it's not me, find somebody else because bounce it off somebody. And that's why I say I coach, but I'm easily available. I'd love to get in touch with people and have them get in touch with me because I've learned so much of the process. And since I'm an old professor in many ways. I mean, I love to teach. I love to learn. And that kind of infectious passion for it really means I can get and sink my teeth into a story because I know a good story when I hear it. And then on all the social media stuff, I'd like to try to give tips. I do this all the time. I'm on Substack. I'm on Instagram. I'm available almost anywhere. If you want to find me, I'm not that hard to find. Cool. Well, look, for anyone listening, Mick, what I'll do if you share all of your 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 links and also the other podcasts that you mentioned earlier on, um, I will have those all in the speaker notes, both in the audio version of the pod and also the pod that goes out on on YouTube and, and people can follow you or get in touch. So, um, yeah, it's been great to, to meet and, and, and very interesting, actually. I, like I said, I only knew a little bit about the book. I haven't read it yet, but uh, I will now go out and read the book and, and look forward to it. So. Yeah, thanks for joining the podcast. I appreciate it. Yes, remember the strange things you're going to read are the real parts. I could not make it up. It's truth is definitely stranger than fiction. Thanks for your time. I appreciate it. My pleasure. What do you want to do? Tour Muhammad Ali and Sonny Barger, the president of Hell's Angel. This is 1095.